Today, I'd like to tell you about our sponsor, Swan Private. Now, you know from listening to this show that our money is broken. Fortunately, we have Bitcoin, a better money that will help us build a brighter future. But if you don't have a Bitcoin strategy and a trusted partner to help you execute that strategy, then you're probably going to fall behind. Now, I've known the Swan Bitcoin team for years. The Bitcoiners at Swan are mission driven and have deep expertise and respect in the Bitcoin space. In my opinion, this is the team you want on your side. Today, I'd like to highlight Swan's private client services division, which guides high net worth individuals and businesses around the world toward building and preserving wealth with Bitcoin. So visit swanprivate.com and learn how this concierge service gives you direct access to your dedicated Bitcoin advisor by phone, messaging, and email. Swan will guide you on complex areas such as self-custody, or you can choose to hold your Bitcoin through Swan with one of the largest U.S. regulated custodians. So make your first purchase with Swan Private and get $100 of Bitcoin. Just tell them that I sent you. You know, an opportunity like this to build and preserve legacy impacting wealth for your family and company will not likely be seen again in our lifetimes. Sign up at swanprivate.com today, mention Breedlove to your advisor, and get $100 in free Bitcoin when you make your first buy. Andy Schoonover, welcome to the What Is Money Show. Thanks for having me. Big fan. Appreciate it. Glad to have you here. I think um, the conversation we're going to have needs to be talked about. Um, this idea of you know fiat currency corrupting a lot of things in life for people mm -hmm. uh, i would say among them healthcare is one of the most screwed up industries as a result of screwed up money mm -hmm. so um i hope this is the first conversation of many either on the show or on other shows about this topic um but it i think it's quite literally destroying our lives right we are not only using fiat currency to wage war with one another, but it also screws up the incentives inside of the healthcare industry. So maybe we could walk before we run here. Could you just give us a little bit of your professional background, how you got into this space mm -hmm. and you know, where appropriate, please introduce how you got into Bitcoin as well. Yeah, sure. Um, so, you know, interestingly, it was out at, uh, out at Stanford, back in 2005 2006 i don't know if you've ever seen uh the social network mm -hmm. uh yeah you know, there's this there's a subplot in that movie around uh zuckerberg going from boston to silicon valley so um the i forget the guy's name who's trying to get his dad to give him 16 or eighteen thousand dollars to pay for this house for the summer well mm -hmm. the house that they rented in the summer was my house um <laughs> it, it was, we were, we were all doing our internships for the summer, all me and my, my B school classmates, all doing internships. We were looking for somebody to rent it. And so Zuckerberg shows up and, uh, with all of his, his buddies and takes over our house. So that house in the movie was not actually our house, but it was referencing, you know, our house. So wow. all that to say, like, it was one of those crazy times in, in Silicon Valley. And, um, you know, everybody was going, all my classmates were going to do Google and Facebook and things like that. I wanted to do something a little bit different. Um, I, I tend to be a contrarian, like I think many of your, your listeners, mm -hmm. um, many Bitcoiners, yeah, many Bitcoiners. Yeah. So I was like, all right, I'm going to go buy a small company and see if I can, I could run this thing. So 
ended up buying a, a company in Dayton, Ohio, of all places. I'm from the Midwest, originally from St. Louis, so it wasn't mm. too foreign to me. Um, really actually enjoyed the town. And it was a healthcare company. Um, we were doing remote patient monitoring. So we were monitoring blood sugars and weights and things like that out of the home. So if you have diabetes, your blood sugar spikes, we would see that information. One of our nurses would call you and say, hey, you know, Angie, your, your blood sugar is spiking. Let's figure out what's going on with you. So mm -hmm. trying to use that data to keep people from going into the hospital. So I was selling that into health plans because the health plans are the folks who have the, the, the chronic conditions. Mm -hmm. um, and we were you know, saving a ton of money for these plans by keeping these people out of the hospital. So that was my introduction to, to um, healthcare, sold that company to a private equity firm. And um, uh, as, as such, I, I lost health insurance because most of us get health insurance through our employers, mm -hmm. uh, 50%. So $4 trillion industry healthcare, $2 trillion of it is, go, is being paid by employers um, for their employees' healthcare. Um, and so I went on to healthcare.gov, not knowing any better. I thought it was my only option. Many of your listeners probably have healthcare.gov, you know, plans. Um, it was 1200 bucks for me, my wife and my two girls. And I was like, all right, well, fine. And I, I kind of joke it, it worked until I had to use it. So my, <laughs> my little one, my little one, uh, was having a uh, recurring ear infection. So we went to the ear, nose and throat doctor and, uh, you know, said you got to get tubes in her ears, went to the hospital, got tubes in her ears. It was $8,000 for 15 minutes. Wow. And I was like, I was like, holy crap, $8,000 for 15 minutes. Right. I mean, that's how screwed up our healthcare system is. Any of us would want that hourly rate. Right. Yeah. Um, and so I, I knew there was no way that that was. And then, you know, I was like, I have health insurance. Um, health insurance is supposed to pay for it. And uh, they, they emailed me, or excuse me, sent me snail mail, interestingly. They said it was medically unnecessary, so they weren't going to pay for it. And, you know, it was at that point where I knew something had to be done. Wow. Um, but that was really kind of my intro to, to, to healthcare um, is getting screwed by, you know, my health insurance plan uh, over, over tubes in my daughter's ears. Interestingly, after that, that procedure, she never got an ear infection again. So oh. I know it was medically necessary. Right. right. <laughs> um, and so, you know, and, and for me, $8,000, um, I've been, I've been kind of very, very blessed. Um, wasn't that big of a deal, but you know, for 99% of the country, $8,000 puts them into serious financial distress, right? Yeah. Yeah. The whole point of health insurance is if you have a big event, they will make sure that you don't go into financial distress. Right. Um, and 250,000 families last year who had health insurance went bankrupt due to a medical event. Right. 250,000 people, right? That's how screwed up our health insurance market is. Wow. That's, wow. Heck of a story there. Like the direct experience with and just how screwed up an industry can get. And it, I, correct me where I'm wrong. Again, I don't have intimate knowledge of the industry. I did. I worked on a healthcare software startup for some time in a, a financial chief role. So I had a little bit of insight, but not, mm -hmm. not in-depth knowledge, but doesn't a lot of this stem from the adversarial relationship between payers and providers that like you have medical providers, you know, rendering the service, but they would charge much higher prices with the expectation that the ultimate payer, the insurance company, or whoever it may be is going to, get some negotiated rate, you know, 50, 80% discount. 
Um, yeah. And so the, the, it's just like a fight before it even begins. And it's the other the one experience I've had that was really silly. I can't even recall what it was. Some some silly like getting thing uh, a piece of skin removed, something like that. Not not a big procedure. On an insurance plan I was on, this is probably five or six years ago. They couldn't tell me how much it was going to cost before mm-hmm. the procedure. They can't tell you. You're like, well, how much is it if I just pay cash? You're like, we can't tell you. Right. Like, well, how much is it if my insurance pays it? We're like, we can't tell you. I'm like, how? Like, when can you tell me after you do it? I'm like, what are you talking about? Like, I'm signing a <laughs> blank check, and you just tell send me a tell bill me another it. industry in this country where that happens. Like, you have to pay for something before you actually know how much it costs. I mean, it's absurd. Taxation is the only one I would say that's close. So there, exactly, <laughs> exactly, and that and that's why the, you know the screwed up monetary system and the screwed up healthcare system are so interrelated and so. Yeah somewhat analogous to each other. Yeah, I mean, I think that people ask, like, why, why are healthcare costs so high, right? Mm-hmm. And I said, you know, the way that I explain it is if, if you have the, the buyer of healthcare, which is generally health plans, and the seller of healthcare, which is typically hospital systems, mm-hmm. both wanting the price to go up, it doesn't take an economics PhD mm-hmm. to know the price is going up, right? right? And so you might be like, okay, well, what do you mean the health plan wants the, the, the price to go up? Well, um, some brilliant legislator back when Obamacare was done was say, told the health plans they could only make uh, 20% profit of your premiums in any mm. one month, right? Mm. So um, if I have a $1,000 premium, the health plans can only make $200. So mm. how does the health plan make $250? They have to increase your premium, right? Mm. And so they're actually incentivized for your premiums to go up. Wow. So this, this is the, the organization that's supposed to be on your side, negotiating for you, actually wanting your prices to go up as opposed to wanting your prices to go down. Wow. And so that's ultimately what is screwing up. And then add to that, uh, you know, 70% of doctors are owned by health plans or health plan related entities, right? So the people you're supposed to be negotiating with you actually own. And so there's serious, you know, uh, you know, conflicts of interest there. Um, and so, you know, all these things are, are, are really kind of keeping, you know, health care prices going up as opposed to go down. There's no, there's no uh, market forces here whatsoever. Right. Oh, okay. So you, that's the right way to look at it then is we've removed the market element and so you co- sort of have this, I guess, form of collusion between payers and providers in a way. Uh, it, it is. It is ultimately a form of, a, you know, similar to, to, to collusion. And, and, and you will see in the, in the news where, you know, I think United Healthcare and Wake Forest, you know, uh, are, are, you know, butting heads right now. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I think, you know, one of them got a, a, a little too crazy with, with their, their pricing and, and that happens. But ultimately... There is collusion in some cases. In other cases, um, you know, United Healthcare comes to Austin, Texas, where I live, and there's two, two hospital systems. Um, and so you're, United is negotiating against a duopoly, mm. ultimately. And you can't lose one of those health systems in Austin because none of the employers in Austin will then want to sign up with your plan because your mm. network is not, you have to have both hospital systems in your network. And so even if United Healthcare, which is the seventh largest company on the planet on revenue, wanted to negotiate 
negotiate with a hospital system in, in Austin, Texas, they can't because there's a duopoly there, right? And so that's that's also the challenge. So you when know, you say when you say duopoly there, sorry to interrupt, but you mean legally mandated duopoly, something like that? I mean, it's not legally mandated, mm. but it's these hospital systems are buying up all of the, the doctor's office and the orthopedic mm. you know, specialist office. And so ultimately what has happened is you've just got two big hospital systems in, in Austin. And you know, the employer, if you're an employer in Austin, you want your employees to have access to both, both health systems. Mm-hmm. Um, and so if United came in and tried to reduce the rates on one of the hospital systems, you know, they have no power to do that. They have no, no negotiating power to do that mm-hmm. because the hospital systems are like, fine, if you want to lose me, then you're screwed in Austin, right? And so, wow. so United and the systems are kind of like, okay, just raise the prices a little bit, but not too much. There's no downward pressure on, on price. Wow. You know, what I, what I tell people is I, as an individual, have significantly more negotiating power against the hospital than United does, interestingly, uh-huh. right? So it, let's just say I go and have a, a NICU baby, right? They're in the hospital for 90 days. It's a million dollar bill. You know, the local hospital can come to me and say, I need a million dollars for you, but what happens, right? I go bankrupt and the hospital gets nothing, right? So the hospital has to negotiate with me uh. to, get to a price that I can actually pay, right? Wow. So the market okay. forces are taking over again. Yeah. saying, okay, we're going to reduce prices because you can only charge as much as someone can pay. Um, and that's, you know, we'll get into crowd health in a little bit, but that's ultimately what we're, what we're doing is allowing the individual to negotiate those prices as opposed to these big corporations who have no incentive to, to negotiate prices on our behalf. Wow. Okay. So and when you describe these uh, large, I'm sorry, who, who, the, who is the duopoly again? These are the healthcare yeah, so systems? Big, big, big hospital systems. Big yeah, hospital so, for, systems. so in Austin, it's, it's St. David's hospital system and Ascension hospital system are the two okay. big ones, which they own almost all the hospitals in, in Austin. And most cities, I know, I think you're in LA, right? Um, you have, uh, I was, I've, I've been traveling since, okay. Well, since things got weird after COVID. So I left. <laughs> sure. In, in most cities, you have two, maybe three hospital systems in, in the big cities, you may have three or four, but um, the, the fewer the hospital systems you have, this is actually proven. The fewer the hospital systems you have, the higher the prices are in, in, um, in, in that, that city. Wisconsin has like one hospital system and Wisconsin's prices are like 25% higher than Texas's prices wow. on a kind of a, a, a per procedure basis. Cause they basically have monopolistic power in, in, right. in Wisconsin, that, that local, that hospital system. So wow. um, it, it's, I mean, it's a, it's a crazy, it's crazy that we allow these monop- monopolies to, to, you know, directly impact us. Those are directly impacting our premiums and, and ultimately what we take home from our, our employer every, every week. Sure. Yeah. So this, all right. I, I know that fiat currency drives centralization in a lot of industries because, you know, it's kind of like this game dynamic of get too big to fail or die trying, Right. you know, because mm-hmm. once you're at that level, I mean, that's the old, that's the holy grail. If you get too big to fail, the government bails you out every time. That's the finance industry. But below that, the bigger you are. Car companies, all kinds of things. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The, the bigger you are, uh, the easier access and cheaper access you have to freshly printed money or credit. 
So you can go out and really just buy up a lot of your competitors, you know? So yeah. we see a lot of industries tilt towards centralization um, as fiat currency uh, ramps up, really the inflation rate ramps up. And again, inflation rate, I don't mean CPI. I mean, the rate at which we're expanding the money supply. Sure. Um, to be clear, is that the dynamic at play here where these large hospital systems become, you know, oligopolies, duopolies, monopolies? Is that the same dynamic uh, at play? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think there's the, there's a, a lawsuit right now against United Healthcare. United Healthcare, for everyone listening, the largest by far health plan in the country. So there's a lawsuit against them that's basically saying, hey, what you're doing is you're coming in and giving us, you know, if, imagine you're a, 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 a group of 10 doctors in Austin, right? And United Healthcare pays for 30 or 40% of the people who walk through your door. Um, United Healthcare goes into that, again, allegedly, go, goes into that doctor's office and says, I'm going to give you a super low reimbursement rate for your knee procedures and shoulder procedures and things like that, right? So your, your revenue is cut, you know, 10, 15, 20% like that, because United mm -hmm. Healthcare says, I'm going to, you know, only reimburse you so much. Well, th those, those organizations can't do that. They can't survive with those, those rates. And so uh, they either have to say yes to United Healthcare, or they have to negotiate with United Healthcare to get bought. Right. And so mm. if you somebody is screwing you, you know, one of your biggest customers is screwing you, reducing your rates, um, then you don't have many choices. And so ultimately what United Healthcare is doing allegedly is forcing these people to sell to them wow. so they can continue their center at, at really low prices because they don't have any other option yeah. to continue that centralization of all the healthcare resources being under you know, one umbrella. So United Healthcare is by far the largest owner of, of doctors across the country. They are oh. trying to be the too big to fail and probably are organization within, within healthcare, which I think is analogous to, you know, some of the, the banks that we saw, what, 10 or 15 years ago. Wow. Um, so that's absolutely happening. And we, as a result of that, are seeing higher healthcare costs because of that centralization. Um, well, yeah, of course. So is this somehow related to, because, all right, so United Healthcare comes in and says, we're going to chop your revenues 15, 20%, or you could just sell to us. Right. Clearly that gives them a lot of leverage. Um, is this, is their leverage somehow backstopped by the legal mandate of employers to provide health insurance oh. employees? Is that, is that what gives them this power to say, you know, take the haircut or, or sell to us? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I mean, you are now, it's not legislated that uh, employers over 50 employees have to provide health insurance for their, their employees. It's, it's an absolute, it's a must. Like it's, it's, and if you don't, you are fined. I, I, it's somewhere between 2,500 and $5,000 an employee per year. If you don't provide them with, with health insurance. Wow. So there it is mandated by the U S government that that's, and I, you know, I'm, I'm one that says, like, you, you need to bifurcate health insurance from your employer, yeah. right? Because there's also a situation here where we have millions of people, the Rand Corporation came out and said that something like 2.5 to 4 million people in the United States only are with their employer because of health insurance. Hmm. You know, it's, it's almost enslaved to your, to your yeah. organization because right. you can't 
health insurance right. outside of your organization yeah. because it's too expensive. Because well, right? then you're at healthcare.gov, right? Even if it's and, not when too you're expensive. you're at healthcare.gov, and it's what did you, you know, say crap. earlier? It works until you had to use it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, one out of every six healthcare claims on healthcare.gov are denied. One out of every six. Wow. If you're in if you're in Texas, it's one out of every five. If you're in uh, if you're in Tennessee, it's one out of every two point five. Wow. So that is, if you go to the doctor, there's a one in 2.5 chance if you're in Tennessee that that claim is going to get denied. I mean, it's preposterous and we have no recourse. It's almost, you know, healthcare is fiat. Our health insurance right. is fiat, right? It's like, yeah. we have no recourse. You have to get it. And if the health insurance plan screws you, then, yeah, I mean, you can write to the labor department in DC right. and tell them that, you know, somebody screwed you, but you know, the you know, money labor gone. departments, it's gone. Yeah. There's wow. no chance that somebody in DC is going to respond to that. Right. So, um, you know, and, and, and there's these department of insurance, you know, state departments of insurance. And so if you have a, an individual plan outside of your employer, you can go to the state department, state insurance department. So there is some recourse there, but you know, these, these health insurance plans have so many lobbyists right mm -hmm. and so in, entrenched in the the legislative system of our of our country that they might get a little you know slap on the wrist or something but right you know there, there's there's not a whole lot of recourse if you get if you get screwed personally yeah and at that level it's just the cost of doing business right you can impute the cost of the slaps on the exactly. wrist because you're just you're taking it home basically revenue wise right you're writing your own role what, I, i've never seen any that, I got this term yesterday from talking to Corey Clipson, but making your own weather or kind of just making their own weather, so to speak. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah. You know, and, and I think we're seeing it. Well, I think it was 2019 Gallup did a, a poll of like the most hated industries. Yeah. Uh, government was number one. Yeah. Health insurance was two. <laughs> Pharma was three. Yeah. Right. It was like, you know, if, if you and I had no idea what that what that poll outcome was, I bet you we probably could have come up with the same yeah, thing, right? For sure. I mean, it's people are getting pissed off, and and yeah. you know, similar to what we're seeing with the monetary system, people are getting pissed off that you know we're 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 seeing inflation, we're getting overtaxed as such, and now people are doing something about it, and we're seeing the Bitcoin community take the lead in that. I think yeah. you know we'd like to take the lead on in healthcare. And um, because I, I think enough is enough and people are getting pissed off enough that there is really a viable business model here for a true alternative to the broken, the broken system. So, yeah, it um, seems like, I mean, it, it's not even an analogy. It's almost like the healthcare system has become an extension of the tax system, because if you're going to get these things done that are clearly medically necessary, you don't go to the doctor unless you need something done and then you're just it's a gamble right you don't know like you pay for the thing i'm going to get reimbursed or maybe you your insurance says they pay for it and then you get a letter a few weeks totally. later saying they didn't pay for it i mean that how is that any different from a tax because you have then you have no recourse right once the money's gone it's gone totally yeah i mean i think that um there was i mean it, it was a tax you know five or six years ago where um under aca affordable care act you were required to get health insurance right and so ultimately that's a a tax on mm -hmm. you um mm -hmm. and the trump administration you know turned that there's now five or six states that have still had that mandate but in those five or six states um including california 
it is required that you have health insurance, which is just ultimately a, a, a tax, right? right. Um, and, you know, it's, it's the largest tax on the middle class by far. I mean, you're mm-hmm. paying more for health insurance for a middle class family making greater than $75,000 than you are paying taxes. Like there's, it's cost you more in healthcare than it does the taxes that you pay, you know, on a 75000 to to $100,000 annual salary. Wow. Yeah, I went through sort of a similar thing where I left corporate America, basically had the whole padded healthcare package. And then when I started my business is when I'm on my own, I had to go and get my own thing. And for us, it was really frustrating because we're a very healthy family. We don't go to the doctor. Like I stay as far away from the system as I can try to be really healthy and all that. Mm -hmm. But you feel obligated to have at least catastrophic coverage, right? Mm -hmm. If something you know, God forbid catastrophic happens, you don't want to have a million dollar bill show up. You want insurance. But man, it was so difficult for me to find that. And the the process, I I mean, we're still paying way over, I think. I mean, the uh, amount we pay for insurance, and we literally don't use it at all. It's just in case of that catastrophic event, I think seems really too high. But the other thing that really caught me was how involved the, the onboarding process was. I mean, it was hours of talking to this. They're reading you all of this legalese over the phone and you have to sign all these forms. It was just very high friction to say the least. So high friction, low value. That's yeah, how I would totally. describe my experience as a customer. Um, and what many times, right? Like, I'm sure when you were looking, you found this too. It's like you have to pay 20 or $30,000 before the health plan will pay anything. Right. right between yeah. your between your premium i think yeah. i think my mine was like 7500 bucks my deductible uh 1200 a, a a month right which yeah. was like 14000 more than 14000 dollars a year and then i had a 7 8000 dollar deductible something like that so i'm 22000 dollars into paying for my health care before the health insurance has to pay a dime right right yeah. that doesn't make sense to me yeah. and then when by the time you pay all that then they have a decision they can and say, well, we'll pay it or no, we won't pay it. Right. Yeah, I mean, right. That's, that's where you're like, like, you know, give me a break. And, you know, I'd say that the only people that hate it worse than the consumers are the actual doctors. Mm-hmm. Um, because the, the doctors have to, you know, pre-auth all of these procedures. They're typically talking to somebody at the health plan that has, that's, you know, sitting in front of an Excel spreadsheet, as opposed to really understands medicine, mm-hmm. um, you know, and so you can imagine a doctor talking to, you know, an Excel spreadsheet, you know, junkie, like that right. conversation doesn't go well. Um, doctors spend about 30% of their time dealing with health insurance plans. Right. What so, in the world, man. you know, and so it's, it's like, you know, what if they had 30% of that time back to take care <laughs> of, of their patients, right. Which is what they're yeah. trained to do, not talk to health insurance plans. So, um, you know, we've, we've ultimately kind of come up with a system where it's like, Hey, give them your credit card. That's it. You know, yeah. you don't have to, you don't have to pay for, you don't have to pay, you don't have to worry about health insurance plans. You don't have to have, worry about billing health insurance plans, all this kinds of stuff. And, you know, there's gotta be a way for me as an individual to be able to do this without an insurance plan between me and my doctor. Right. Yes. That's ultimately what, what we think is, is the, the right solution to this. Yeah. And there's, there's nothing incremental here that's going to fix the system, right? There's too many no. perverse incentives. Yeah. There's too many people being fed by the $4 trillion that's being spent. And so, you know, somebody said, had a quote around like, it's hard to convince somebody 
of something that will impact their ability to put food on the table. Yes. You know, it's, it's something like Incentive that, right? Like, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, so there's just too much, um, you know, too, too many people, you know, eating the, the good food that's being provided by the money um, of health insurance and, and related industries to, to really change this incrementally. It's got to change significantly. Yeah, it's and, a systemic issue, right? Rooted in the nature of fiat and fiat currency itself. Um, I would add to the incentive blindness. That's the same reason I think these PhD economists and central bankers don't understand Bitcoin. Mm-hmm. They're right. They're incentivized not to. It puts food on their table to yeah. uh, to toe the party line, so to speak. If Bitcoin is real and successful, they're out of a job. Right? Exactly. Like it's it's hard to root for something that's going to yeah. put you out of a job. Yeah. Right. And it's um, true biases there that that impact you know monetary system and healthcare very similar. Yeah. One of the so I wrote this piece a couple of years ago. It was an open letter to Ray Dalio about Bitcoin. And one of the segments in there, it's a long piece, but I did some research was the explosion. This is since 1971, the explosion of health administrators, the ratio of administrators to health providers. So, you know, paper pushers to doctors, basically. And it has gone, it went absolutely bananas. It used to be, I don't, I don't recall the exact numbers, but it was somewhere like two to one administrators per doctor, something like that. 50 years later, you know, in 2020, it's like 1200 to one or some massive insane number. Yeah. I'm like, how many paper pushers does it take for a doctor to sit down with a patient and give them some health protocol or modality? Like, do we really need 1200 paper pushers behind the one doctor? This is all just, I think, I mean, again, post-1971, it's a consequence of government intervention. So that is the, the systemic root of this, right, is the government intervention in this enterprise. Yeah, that's totally right. I mean, same thing in the 1970s. The, uh, you know, there's the HMO Act, which allowed for the, your current you know, modern-day health insurance. And, and ever since that day, right, prices have gone you know, through the roof. And it's to pay for these administrators and most of those people are related to, um, you know, to insurance. I have my cousin's a urologist. He said, hey, he's got eight billers to every doctor that he has. Sorry, eight administrative people, four of which were just insurance billers to every doctor that they have in their office. Wow. And I'm like, holy crap, how much administrative BS is getting eaten away? Um, and and so that's why I was like, man, you take health insurance out of it, you, you cut, you know, all of that out of the out of the system, and Lord knows there's enough you know jobs out there in this economy uh, to to absorb some of of those people into into other professions. It's not like they're going you know unemployed. Like there's yeah. plenty of people looking for jobs. You know, great employees out there. So yeah. um, I, I think that you know the primary driver of what you're talking about is insurance, with, without a doubt. Yeah, it makes sense. And then again, just back to the like you said, with the doctor earlier, spending 30% of their time dealing with those admins. I mean, that's not only is it non-productive, it's anti-productive, right? The doctor that had a six or eight hour day to spend with patients now is that's getting just cut down through all these other um, required engagements that um, really necessary to satisfy compliance ultimately. Yeah. And those are, those are super expensive hours too, right? I mean, if you think of these doctors who are making, 
three, 300 to $750,000 a year, depending upon their specialty. I mean, 30% of that time is a lot of freaking money, right? Like that money. is not an inexpensive hour that you're spending with an admin at a health plan to approve a knee procedure or an ACL tear or whatever. Right. Yeah. Um, so it is, it is, if we could cut that out of the system, you know, in addition to that, interestingly, when the doctor bills the health plan, they bill through an electronic medical record. Right. And that electronic medical record say takes six to 10% off the top um, just for billing. Right. So your visa or MasterCard or whatever is two and a half percent, something mm -hmm. like that. Mm -hmm. Your debit card's a percent and a half. This is somewhere between six and 10, sometimes even 12%, just wow. right off the top for billing the health insurance plan. Um, and so there are lots of costs to be sucked out of the system if you can mm. take the insurance plan out of that. Um, so we've got doctors, um, you know, you talk to us you know, all the time. It's like, man, if you would give me a, a, a credit card, I would give you a 30 to 40% reduction off of your rate. Right. right. So the cash pay rate is 30 to 40% less than yes. what the health plan rate is. Right. Um, all because of what we just talked about is all those administrative costs. Yeah. Yeah. So they'll discount you what, like you said, very heavily for a direct yeah. pay. And then also it's kind of a sort of a paradox in a way that the individual ends up with more negotiating leverage because they have bankruptcy as a backstop. Yeah. Whereas these yeah. other, that's so interesting. Now I'd like to tell you about a great new Bitcoin show on the scene that you've got to check out. Brought to you by Swan Studios and Bitcoin Magazine, this show is Hard Money with Natalie Brunel. Natalie is an Emmy-nominated journalist bringing unparalleled experience to the Bitcoin media scene. And personally, Natalie is one of my favorite voices in the Bitcoin space. Each week on Hard Money, you'll get the top headlines of the week with analysis you won't find anywhere else. Hard-hitting interviews with amazing guests like myself and other top minds in the Bitcoin space. And the show will take you directly into the lives being changed by Bitcoin all over the world. Check out Hard Money at swan.com backslash hard money. Today, I want to tell you about our sponsor, CrowdHealth. So how does health insurance work? You send an egregious amount of money to an insurance company. They hold it in a pool of depreciating fiat currency. Then when you have a large health event, you have to pay them even more via your deductible, and then you hope they will cover your bill. And in fact, one in six bills are denied by healthcare.gov plans. It's time to take control of your own healthcare bills. I'd like to introduce you to CrowdHealth. It's a decentralization of healthcare using Bitcoin as an alternative to health insurance. Instead of sending fiat currency to a big corporation, you send that money to an account controlled by you, a portion of which is converted into Bitcoin. Then if you have a big health event, you have a community of Bitcoiners that will use the money in their accounts to help you out. To get more details, go to joincrowdhealth.com backslash breedlove, where you can find the promo code for $99 a month for six months. Just a real quick story, which I think is a fun one. We had a member up in Wisconsin who um, was having a heart issue. The local hospital there um, quoted them a price for this procedure that they had to have for $83,000. So this is Oshkosh, Wisconsin, mm -hmm. about 90 miles from so was Chicago. So we called a couple of places 
is in Chicago. So 90 miles, we found a place in Chicago was going to do it for $44,000. So we went from 83,000 to 44,000 in 90 miles, right? <laughs> we kept shopping around for this, for this member. And we found another place in Oklahoma city who would do it for $22,000. So we have, <laughs> you know, a 40, $1,000 change in 90 miles, a $60,000 change in a thousand miles. Um, and so that, that member ultimately went to Oklahoma city to a cardiologist who do, does a bunch of these procedures more than the, the doctors in Wisconsin or Chicago and saved $60,000 because they were willing to jump on an airplane and go a thousand miles to Oklahoma. Right. Wow. I mean, it's, that's the inefficiencies in our system. If you could buy a $80,000 car, a thousand for 22,000, right. <laughs> a thousand miles away. We, we'd, we'd all be doing that all day long, yeah. taking you know, one trip a day to make sure that we get, you know, as many of those cars as possible. Um, and so it's crazy, the inefficiency of, of, of the system. Um, also runner turquoise health, which is a super cool company looking at all this hospital data found one hospital being compensated for a cup of decaf Folgers coffee, $1,200 for a cup of Folgers decaf coffee at a hospital in Michigan. Blue Cross Blue Shield of Michigan was paying them $1,200 for a cup of coffee. I mean, it is what? absurd. I mean, it's, a, it's even unbelievable, right? But this is data directly from the hospital that said they can, they're charging that. Um, wow. You know, you get charged like, $15 for one diaper, right? Like a diaper wow. that costs 25 cents. You get cost, you know, you get charged $15 for it. I mean, it, this stuff is rampant within the, these hospital systems. And, um, you know, the hospital, the, the, their insurance plans are kind of like, okay, we'll pay it, right? I mean, it's, it's absurd. Wow. I mean, that is just blatant price gouging at yeah. that point. Um, I'm like, how, how is this even legal? Like, it, I, this doesn't even, it doesn't even make sense. It's despicable, honestly, and it, I don't know, really, I guess maybe it's kind of a blessing in disguise because I, for me personally, again, my family, we dislike the healthcare system so much that we just put all this emphasis on health. We try to just yeah. eat healthy and, you know, do all the things. Um, but man, it's just, it's sad, honestly, you know, because there are a lot of people out there that have issues and need that system, actually need that system to survive, to deal with whatever chronic illness they may have and it's just not it's just there to price gouge them that is sad yeah it really is i mean i think, think the question and i'm sure you know you've got a lot of listeners who are way smarter than me but it's like how do you incentivize people to do what you and your family are doing mm. right which is to be more healthy mm -hmm. right we've got a credit score whether you like them or not i think they're mm -hmm. kind of trash in many ways but mm -hmm. you have a credit score that, that at least incentivizes people to pay off their credit card bill right? Mm -hmm. There's nothing for our health, which is massively more important to us as individuals mm -hmm. and to society, if we're sharing our bills with others to incentivize us to actually take really good care of our, of our, our bodies, because mm -hmm. ultimately we're just relying upon an insurance plan to pay for it. And it doesn't really directly impact me monetarily. Yeah. And it doesn't feel like people are, are truly, you know, incentivized unless there are some monetary, um, you know, component to that yeah. incentive system. Um, there's not within healthcare. There's no, in, there's no monetary, you know, incentive whatsoever. Yeah. Yeah. So it, it, 
I mean, it really twists things up. I have a friend, one of my best friends, actually, he's worked, I guess he's, he's like, I don't want to say IT guy because he would hate me for saying that, but he oversaw a lot of the informational backend for these health systems and doctors and whatnot. He implemented mm-hmm. EMRs and whatever. He handles all that. And he had, he would always tell me that it's not health care, it's sick care. Oh, like yeah. For the sure. incentives are to keep people sick and dependent on the system, not to have people get healthy. And that's yeah. scary, man. That's really scary. I was talking to, I had a podcast with a guy who's a former physical therapist. And he's like, look, I I feel like I have a pretty high integrity, but um, you know, I have an incentive when somebody comes into me for physical therapy that they actually take longer to recover because they see me more often Mm -hmm. than shorter. Like it is just the monetary incentive system that's in place um, just as a result of the way that our, that our system is, is set up. The other thing too, we talked about was you know, for an ACL tear, for example, you should only need 12 to 15 physical therapy visits. Mm-hmm. If you're, if you really take care of yourselves and you do all the exercises, the average is like 35 because mm-hmm. people don't do what they need to do at home outside of the physical therapist, but they're not paying for that extra, you know, 15 or 20 visits at hundred to 150 bucks a pop. There's no yeah. monetary incentive for them to, to do that. And so they don't. You know, yeah. and so it's for me, it's like, can we have like a some kind of health scoring system, right? Like mm. the breed loves, right? You guys are all healthy, right? And what if you, because you were healthy, could actually get a better rate on your health care than the person who, you know, is 350 pounds and yeah. you know, doesn't eat right and doesn't exercise and doesn't do all of these things? And so, you know, we're thinking through that, like, how do you do that without kind of crossing over a privacy boundary? Like I'm very, you know, cognizant of that, but it's like, do it, give it, you have the option of giving us information that, you know, if it's good, you can actually reduce your, 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 your rate for your healthcare based upon how healthy you are. I mean, then you have the incentive for people to actually get healthier. Um, It it actually hits them in the, in the wallet. And that's where yeah. I think, you know, ultimately something like that needs to happen. No, that makes a ton of sense. Um, I'd love to learn more about that. Let me ask you this question that's always bothered me too, is what's the deal with this in-network, out-of-network on every plan? It's like, I, that was always something I ran into. Even like when I had my corporate healthcare, we had the I bought the plan. It was like the nicest plan we could find on the market mm-hmm. basically for I was on the executive plan too. We had different tiers mm-hmm. and I still ran into this issue. Like, Oh, you can't go here, go there, go here. Don't go here, go there. And I'm like, what, yeah, what is it's, this? It's, so, it's one of the that? biggest complaints that people have, right? Is they want to be like, okay, is my pediatrician or my OBGYN or my primary care physician in network or out of network. And so, as I was mentioning earlier, United healthcare comes into Austin and says, I've got to build a network within Austin of hospitals, primary care physicians, specialists, all of these people. Um, and so whoever accepts my rate in Austin, Texas will be a part of my, my network. Um, and so that's why they have to have both hospital systems is because the employee employers want their employees to have both hospital systems in network mm. um, or else you're paying egregious you know, fees if it's out of network. Right. So the way that your health plan is set up is typically your deductible, which can be anywhere from, you know, a couple thousand dollars to 
$14,000 is typically only for in-network hospitals and, and you know, primary care and all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. um, if you go out of network, it does not apply to that deductible. So everybody wants to stay in network. Mm -hmm. um, the problem with that is that, you know, I literally can go to an in-network in hospital. Let's say I, I break my arm, right? I go to an in-network in hospital into the ER. Those ER doctors typically are not employed by the hospital. They're employed by a third party who may or may not be in-network. So we, we've seen lots of examples where you're going to an in-network hospital, the ER doctors are out of network, and so you're charged in-network for the hospital, but out of network for the ER doctors. And then the anesthesiologist might be in-network or out of network too. So that's where people get these flood of bills after you have a health event. You're like, what the hell is all this? In-network, oh. out-of-network? I just, you know... And, and you can't even tell me how much it's going to cost in network or out of network. So how am I supposed to make a decision? Yeah. Um, there is a great law. Um, I'm not huge on regulation, but there is an interesting law. It's just universal commercial code, federal law that says, if you go in, if you are provided a service without a pre-negotiated price, you have to negotiate a reasonable and fair price after the fact. And so this is very valuable for people who are uninsured like me. I don't have insurance. Um, I can go in and I can say, okay, hospital, you know, I have an emergency. I can say, okay, hospital, tell me what the reasonable and fair price is for this procedure. Mm. Well, case law has dictated reasonable and fair to be predicated upon how much it costs you to provide the service. Mm. So hospitals don't have a clue how much these services are costing them. And therefore... <laughs> they will negotiate with you. They're like, I don't want to do that, you know, mm. brain damage. I got to pay some Bain consultant or something like that right. to figure out how much it actually costs. And so hospitals will negotiate with you. And we're seeing, you know, 60, 70, 80% reductions in ER bills um, because the hospitals have to, have to negotiate. Um, oh. And oftentimes they spread them out over a long period of time, right? So let's just say I have a huge bill, $100,000. I typically can get that down to $20,000 and they'll do it over a two year period. Right. Wow. So it's a thousand bucks a month for two years. And guess what I would be paying a thousand dollars a month for my health insurance, <laughs> right. Who may or may not pay that. Right. So it's like, I kind of look at this and say the reasonable thing for me to do as an individual is to be uninsured. Um, you know, then I'm in a part of a community called crowd health where I have other people in this community, whereas I, if I have a, a health event, um, it's a big one, then I actually can go to them and say, hey, can you help me with this health event? Mm. Um, and if they have a health event, they're going to come to me and say, hey, can I help you with your health event? So mm. it's not insurance, but it's more of a kind of a, a community based approach of, of taking care of, of health care, which I, you know, we've been doing for thousands of, of years. It's kind of like mm. back to the future a little bit. It's, right, it's, it's right, right. back the community piece of of uh of, of healthcare and, and so that's how i pay my bills it's so interesting how bitcoin does inspire this return to traditional values across a lot of different dimensions but this is a new one actually this getting back to this old communal model of healthcare is interesting before we get into crowd health though so oh, let me ask you one more thing first so these how i've read this somewhere that health events are among the number one causes of bankruptcy too, right? 
makes sense, right? People go in with a broken arm, they end up with a hundred thousand dollar bill or whatever it is. Like, yeah, I think the other stat I would call out here that I read, uh, I think about a year ago, the majority of us households were not able to come up with $400 for an emergency. So clearly a hundred thousand is way, way out of the, the scope there. Is that correct? That health events are one of the number one causes of bankruptcy. Um, and if so, like, okay, is that accurate? And then we'll go to the next question. That. that is accurate. That is accurate. So what's happening, right, is that healthcare costs are going up. And so these health plans have a decision. They can say, okay, I'm going to raise your premiums or I can raise your deductibles, right? The, the deductible is the amount that you have to pay before the health insurance pl- plan pays, right? So if, yeah. if healthcare costs are going up for you, they either have to raise your premium or raise your deductible. What we've been seeing is, is that deductibles have been rising. Mm-hmm. Um, I think they're on average now like $5,000 uh, per family, five, 6,000, something like that. And so when you have a health event, the deductible is the amount of money that comes out of your bank account before the health plan will pay anything. Yeah. Right? So if, and, and if they're at $5,000, a broken arm, you know, is $5,000, your kid falling off your bike is $5,000. Like anytime you walk into the ER, it's going to be several thousand dollars. And so people are not paying attention to how much their deductibles are and don't have enough cash in the bank to pay for their deductible. But you are obligated to pay that before the health plan will pay because you've got a contract with the the health plan, the health plan's got a contract with the hospital, and therefore you are obligated to pay the hospital that deductible um, and you know, it's putting people into bankruptcy ultimately. Wow. Um, and, and that's a, you know, sad state of affairs. Like I mentioned, 250,000 people last year went into bankruptcy, even though they had health insurance, like it's a crazy, crazy thing. And I think there's, it's something like 50% of people have healthcare debt on their credit cards, um, wow. or 50% of people who have health insurance have, have, uh, have medical debt on their credit cards. Um, you know, and it, it, one study said it could be up to a trillion dollars of medical debt is hanging out there, um, for, from, you know, us citizens. I mean, that's a crazy number. That's a lot. I mean, that's, that's that's a lot of, a lot of dollars. And that just tells you how screwed up our health care system is. But, um, you know, we've, we've seen inflation in, in healthcare expenses for, you know, three decades. And that's ultimately what's going to happen to more, than just the healthcare space, if we continue to see the the inflationary, you know, upward rising that we've seen and are continue to see, we'll continue to see. Yeah, and man, talk about kicking people when they're down, right? Like you just went through some health event, and now you're going to have to go into bankruptcy too because the system is so inefficient and screwed up and yeah. predatorial. Like, can we do better as as a civilization, guys? Come on. Um, anyway, so, all right, I think (laughs) we've only been doing this for a short amount of time here, but I think we've (laughs) highlighted some of the shortcomings of the healthcare system to say the least without, I know this could probably be an equally long conversation, but maybe you can make this nice and succinct for us. Uh, two part question, actually, how did you discover Bitcoin and get into Bitcoin? Yeah. And how did you 
connect the dots to see that Bitcoin can actually help fix some of this mess? Yeah. So, um, you know, my first hearing about Bitcoin was a decade ago. Um, and I kind of made a joke with my friend, not a joke. I was serious. I said, Hey, you know, this being the contrarian, I said, there, there's, there's gotta be something happening here. This Bitcoin thing is really, really interesting. I dig it. I'm going to just going to put $10,000 into Bitcoin. I think, mm-hmm. you know, it was at 200 or 600 or something mm-hmm. like that. You know, it's, it was back, you know, a decade ago. So I'm, I probably will get the, get it wrong a little bit, but it's, somewhere in that 200 to a thousand range. And uh, he's like, man, that would be the dumbest $10,000 that you've ever spent. And I don't know what that would be, you know, worth today, but a lot of freaking money today, mm-hmm. if I had made that, that trade, um, you know, fast forward a decade. And I actually um, am friends with, with Jimmy song, who I think, you know, um, and I was, you know, having breakfast or lunch with him, you know, his ribeye uh and then that and that's it that's all jimmy eats his ribeyes uh, that's why it's so healthy yeah, exactly. <laughs> and i was telling him about this company that i was starting crowd health and i said you know one of the problems we have with the healthcare system is that you put money into give money to a health insurance plan every month every month right and they keep it in this big pool of dollars that is just melting right like this this dollars these dollars are becoming less and less valuable and they got a big big monster pot of it. They call it the mm-hmm. risk pool. I said, we, we got to figure out a way to, to, to do that. That's more, more efficient. And he said, well, why don't you hold, instead of holding that in dollars, why don't you hold it in Bitcoin? Mm-hmm. Um, and he's like, if, if, you know, over any kind of decent period of time, you will get appreciation of that as opposed to depreciation. And so you'll get actually a, a depreciation of healthcare costs as opposed to a, you know, inflation mm. of, of healthcare costs. And I was like, man, that's beautiful. I love that. And so this is about a year ago. And I started investing in, in Bitcoin myself about a year ago. Um, just finally got them into, into, you know, I was, I was the one of those like elementary school Bitcoiners, right? Go to Coinbase, buy it mm. on Coinbase, let's sit it on Coinbase. Mm. Um, you know, and I just recently have gotten that transitioned over to, you know, cold storage. And so um, I'm, I'm now making the, the little steps, but mm. um, I was looking at my business. And I said, man, instead of people, you know, putting in dollars and keeping them in dollars, why don't we convert those to, to Bitcoin and let that appreciate? And that ultimately is going to lower their healthcare costs. I think if, if Bitcoin goes to 30,000 or 29,000, whatever it is today to, 500 or 600,000, which I think we all do over a, a reasonable period of time. If you invest your dollars in Bitcoin, as opposed to sending premiums to health insurance companies, I think mm. you may never have to pay for health insurance again. Mm. Right. Wow. And that's where I think this gets really exciting. Stop paying health insurance premiums. You'll never see them again. Right. right? Invest in Bitcoin instead. Use yeah. the appreciation of that over the next you know, decade to, to pay for your healthcare expenses for the rest of your lives. And that's what I get excited about. Um, wow. And so that's what we're allowing our members to, to do at, at, at CrowdHealth is put, you know, buy, buy a little bit of Bitcoin every single month. That's going to accumulate in value, both because you're putting more dollars in, but also because the appreciation of, of Bitcoin. And that is going to be your pool of capital, your individual pool of capital that you can use for health insurance when you need it right? Your own, you're self-insured, you're insuring yourself right. through Bitcoin. Um, wow. And that's the way that we're, 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 we're doing it. And, um, you know, I, I just think it's a, a way more effective, efficient 
way of, of doing things. And, you know, like I said, we got a bunch of people, thousands of people who are in this little community. And if you have a really big event, you know, then there's other people there that will be help, able to help you. Um, yeah. That'll kind of crowdfund those bills for you. And so it's, you can add market forces by paying, you know, with a, a credit card or paying, ultimately we want to pay in Bitcoin, you know, pay in Bitcoin as opposed mm -hmm. to dollars. Um, and you bring more market forces into the, into the system. And I think it's going to change the system ultimately. Wow. Um, and that's the, that's the, the, the kind of the bigger vision. Wow. Okay. So interesting. That's it, at least one angle on how Bitcoin can help fix all of this. That's one that you're pursuing yeah. in your role at crowd health. Um, I don't know if we said it at the top of the show or not, but you are the CEO of crowd health. What is crowd health? So it's not, it doesn't sound like it's insurance per se. Sounds no. like you, you mentioned earlier, it's kind of a reversion back to this communal model. Um, yeah. What is it? Can you unpack it for us? I mean, I, I think, I think ultimately my philosophy here is that like for, for thousands of years, if something happens within a community, the community members are responsible for each other. Right. Um, I think there's, biblical con con context for that i think mm -hmm, you know mm -hmm. that it's just over and over and over um, that you see that and then you know the government has now gotten in between us and our community members mm -hmm. right if i walk if i if i drive down the street and i see somebody on the side of the street um there is ultimately this this thought that enters your mind that's like why isn't the government taking care of them because the government has stolen some of that responsibility from us mm -hmm. as just human beings and so mm -hmm. i think we as humans have become less generous, less empathetic, mm -hmm. you know, all these just core, I think, God-given emotions that the government has just stolen. Um, and so I was like, man, health insurance is doing the same thing. Mm -hmm. If somebody in your community got sick, you would be over there to help them. You would take them, mm -hmm. you know, uh, chicken noodle soup. You would, you know, mm -hmm. get the community doctor to go over there and, and help them. Um, if they had to work to do, you would help them with their work so that their family would be able to still, you know, be fed. Like that is such a core component of our human nature mm -hmm. that I think government and now health insurance plans are taking care, taken from us. You know, what if we can build a community and in our case, a community of Bitcoiners who, if somebody got in trouble and had a really big bill, somebody had a NICU baby that was a, a million dollars you know, why can't we as a community help that person with that big, huge bill, right? They'll pay as much as they can, but we can help them when, if, if they need help, right? And so ultimately crowd health is you're putting money into an account every month. It's converted to Bitcoin. Most of it is converted to Bitcoin, 75%. Um, it is yours. 25% uh, is held in fiat just for liquidity purposes. We ultimately don't want you to sell your Bitcoin. Um, if somebody in the community has a big health event, we're going to reach out to you and we're going to say, hey, Robert, um, Andy's got a big health event. Would you kick in 25 bucks to help them out? And you can say yes or you can say no. It's totally voluntary. Um, and if you say yes, then we transfer 25 bucks from your account, a fiat from your account to their account. They now have enough money to pay for their child's, you know, NICU baby or, mm -hmm. you know, uh, falling off her bike or whatever. Um, and so that's how it works. And so we're just kind of a, uh, a, a, a software overlay, a platform overlay of all these people that have their own accounts. It's their own Bitcoin account. It's their own, you know, uh, FDIC insured account for the fiat. It's all theirs. It's not ours. If 
at any point you want to leave crowd health, you take it with you. Mm -hmm. So if that Bitcoin goes from 39,000 to 390,000, 100% of that appreciation is yours, mm. not an insurance company's, right? Mm -hmm. And so right. it's a totally different way of thinking about how to pay your healthcare bills. And given that it's my money I'm spending, I have much more incentive to you know, negotiate with the doctor, find a really great doctor for a low price. Um, and crowd health provides some tools to do that really easily. But that's in essence what it is, is we're providing tools to people to be uninsured, to be outside of the health insurance system. And now we have thousands of people who have joined us to, to, to do this. So it's a pretty, pretty cool thing. Wow. That sounds like a very important step towards individual sovereignty as well. Just disconnecting yourself from this predatorial system. Are those communities geographically centered or is this just all one large community under crowd health? Yeah, we have a couple of different communities. Um, we have a, you know, kind of our, our legacy community or our founding community, let's say, is that's the first one. We've recently peeled off a Bitcoin community. So, it's, you know, just Bitcoiners who are sharing with each other. Um, we'll have some other communities that, that pop up, um, but, you know, we're going to keep them small, big enough so that we can viably take care of healthcare bills, but small enough so there's still a community. It is geographically diverse. Um, we might start doing geographic, you know, communities, but right now it's more affinity groups than than anything else. Um, so we're going to open up a trainer account and a, or a trainer community. We call them a crowds, a real estate agent community. Um, so we're going to have a number of these communities that all share expenses with each other. Mm. Very cool. And you. And by the way, just just so you know, like if you're in the Bitcoin community, like if you think about the, that community they generally tend to be more personally responsible. Yeah. So our average age is in the mid thirties. Um, the BMI is like four and a half points lower than the national average. Um, it tends to be 65% men, 35% women. Um, and so we, we just have like a generally healthier, low cost group. So if you mm -hmm. think about the healthcare cost of the entire group, it's going to be substantially lower than, than the national average. So you're going to save you know, a ton of money. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, wow, super cool. Very original. Not something I'd ever thought about before. Um, where, what is the grand vision for crowd health? Like, where do you see this ultimately going? Um, I guess in terms of the business itself, but also its impact on the industry. All this, all this uh, mess we talked about earlier. How do you see it impacting or, or helping clean some of that up? Yeah. You know, I, again, I had this interesting conversation yesterday. I was like, what, what can we do with healthcare to make it better, right? And there's just nothing incremental that we can do. Like, it's, it's got to be a disruptive impact it's to, to, the, to the industry. And so, you know, I, I continue to say we just have to burn it down. We have mm. to burn down the mm. existing healthcare system, just like you want to burn down the existing monetary system, yeah. right? And, yeah. I, and I do too, right? Like, some of these things are just so... Um, chronically broken that mm -hmm. it's just there's no way to fix them and unless you just burn it down and start with something mm -hmm. something new right and so ultimately what we want to do is is have every doctor be open and available to take cash payments with credit cards as opposed to health insurance plans that's going to be their number one way of of getting paid is is through individuals as as opposed to insurance companies we're working with doctors. Doctors is one of our biggest groups of people who joined us right now because they're so fed up with health insurance. Mm -hmm. And so if we can get them to start 
using something like this themselves, telling their patients to use things like this so that we can ultimately take down the insurance business. That's ultimately what I like to see happen is I, I would like to be a uh, an insuranceless society, at least a mm. health insuranceless mm. society, um, that we are all paying for our our healthcare costs directly. As such, we'll take a tr trillion dollars of costs out of the healthcare system, or more, probably mm -hmm. more than that. Mm -hmm. And you know, hospitals will be run way more efficiently, way less administrators, way more doctors doing what they love, which is fulfilling to them. Um, mm. I mean, I, I think that's a beautiful future to be to be focused on as an insuranceless society um, that is going to be significantly less expensive. I mean, we're twenty percent of GDP right now for healthcare costs. <laughs> It should be like 12, probably. Yeah. Right. And imagine all the dollars there that we're spending but yeah. are coming out of our pockets ultimately. Right. right. You know, it's it's funny to me where I hear, hear people, they're like, oh, you know, my employer pays for it. I was like, your employer does not pay for it. <laughs> you, you are paying for it. For sure. Because because if your employer wasn't paying you the health insurance, <laughs> they'd be able to pay you more money. Yeah. Right. And yeah. so let's let's bifurcate that, pay the people the money that they deserve and yes. let them figure out healthcare. You know, stop getting in between, you know, them and their doctors. The employer should be focused on employing these people and not worrying about the healthcare of of their employees or what decisions them and their doctors are making. Like yeah. that just doesn't make any sense to me. No, that's beautiful. I definitely seems like a a great vision of insurance less society at least health insurance less i'm reminded of this old joke i think it was chris rock he said if insurance is when you pay money to someone in case shit happens in case that shit don't happen shouldn't you get the money back yeah exactly <laughs> and i mean it seems like you're kind of working towards something like that i mean it just it's more direct it's more economic and frankly just gets the scamminess out of it right the fact that healthcare is a giant scam that's really disheartening to me because it's like the one industry you would hope is really about helping people because you're yeah. only going into that healthcare system if you really need it right that's what healthcare is like things aren't working for my body or my mind or whatever like please help me the fact that you have to walk sure. into this gauntlet of scams today for the people that are seeking help most, I mean, that is very upsetting to me personally. So, yeah. And you know, it's, it's the doctors, the nurses, those, those people are, everybody I've met are fantastic and awesome. And this is not, this is not their issue. It is ultimately a governmental issue. They mm -hmm. put these hospitals, they put the health plans within this box and they're trying to maximize profit within the box that the 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 yes. legislative you know the the federal government has put them in mm -hmm. right and so i don't think necessarily they're awful people although there are awful people um i don't think they're generally awful it's just they're trying to maximize profit within this box right yeah. which is just what we are going to do um yeah. and it's it's ultimately the government that needs to get its nose out of out of our health um yeah. and let us take care of our own own health care yeah. You know, so right now we've got we've got our employer, we've got the government, and we have the insurance plan between us and our doctor. Like let's take all those people out and and let me yeah. and my doctor make a decision right. for myself what's better best for my health. Yeah, no, and to be completely clear, I 
totally agree with you. I think yeah. human beings, like our characters and behaviors, we're just emergent properties of our incentives. Ultimately, people are going to do, people are going to follow their incentives. Sure. There are mm-hmm. exceptions to the rule all, all over the place, but in general, it's true. And so the idea of just cleaning it up, right? Getting the coercive elements out of it, getting the mandates, getting all of this, do this because I said so, and just letting people deal with one another voluntarily. <laughs> surprise, surprise, creates all these positive, <laughs> um, positive um, uh, consequences, I guess. That, you know, you, It's cheaper care, higher quality, less paperwork. People are sat more satisfied at their jobs. Uh, people are healthier, you know, like mm-hmm. it's really incredible. Um, well, and m- most of this is masked by consumer protection, right? Mm-hmm. We see this in the monetary system too. Like they have this, oh, we're doing this to protect the consumer. Always. I'm like, it's yeah. like, that's such BS. Like this is not about protecting the consumer. It's about giving right. you more power and letting yeah. you can have more control over what we do with our money or with mm-hmm. our health. And in many cases, those two are the one in the same, right? Yeah. Um, and that's just the challenge that we we have. So it's so like, man, we need to burn it down. We need to burn down the healthcare system right now and we need to start over again. And I think there's, this is a true path to doing that. It's a David versus Goliath type of thing. United Healthcare, like I said, seventh or something like that, largest yeah. company in the planet that I'm trying to take down. But it's like, if somebody doesn't try to take the swing, then- yeah. You know, we, we're going to continue to live through this, you know, horrific, you know, healthcare system in, you know, one of the greatest countries on the planet, right? Right. Like that that to me is not not a, a thing that I want for my kids or my grandkids. Yeah, amen to that. And I I'm glad you said that. That it's a lot of the things we talk about on this show are government intervention and the, the problems with that, and they almost always put on this moral camouflage. Like you brought yeah. up consumer protection. It's always like, oh, no, I'm doing this for your benefit. You know, wear the mask for your benefit. Save grandma. <laughs> it's always something. It's always, but it's always misrepresented ultimately too. There's, I heard this from someone that you can derive the true meaning of any, uh, any bill that's being passed in like a legislative body. Just invert the title. Whatever it says it's doing, consumer protection, it's the opposite of that. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, exactly that's funny it's i get a little bit again disheartened when i get into the murk on some of these industries and how how dirty they are but also i guess in my more positive moments i try to see it as an opportunity you know that it's just our generation's challenge it's like sure yeah. people that came before us did the best that they could We've messed up the incentives, though, and that is screwing up the outcomes presently for us. So now this, the onus is on us, our living generation, to correct a lot of that. And man, thank God for Bitcoin, because without that, I don't know that we would make a lot of progress. <laughs> totally agree. Totally agree with that. I mean, look, it sucks that I'm down $8,000, right, for my, my, my daughter's ear tubes. Right. But, you know, most most new new ideas come from some pain. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I saw it through, you know, my daughter and, you know, some Bitcoiners are seeing it through inflation and taxes and, and all these kinds of things. Like you almost need the pain to yes. incite the, the riot. Right. right. And let's, let's right. riot for something good, which is better health care and a better monetary system. Um, and I agree with you. It's our it's our generations. It's the 30s, the 40 year olds who are going to go in there and, and try to change these things in a big way. And 
I, you know, I'm, I'm glad that we have folks like, like you and, and others on the Bitcoin side who are w- willing to stand up and say like, this is bullshit. Like, we, you know, most people will cower in the face of, you know, big governmental intervention and it's yeah. folks like you and others. You're like, I ain't going to just sit here and put up with this. So, um, you know, that's why I'm inspired by the Bitcoin community and, and what y'all are doing. Cause I'm, I'm right there behind you. Well, you are now fully in it, my friend. And I am. And likewise, you know, grateful for people like you, entrepreneurs, frankly, standing up to the BS. It's like, just get out there and move the world, right? Be smarter, be better. You know, as you said, burn it down if necessary and then rebuild, right? That's what entrepreneurs yeah. do. So um, this has been a great conversation. Yeah, Andy, I, I, I really enjoyed it. Um, if you could just please let my audience know where they can find out more about you or your work. Yeah. Crowdhealthbtc.com is where you need to go online if you're at all interested in kind of an alternative way of paying for your, your health care. Um, join Crowd Health on, on Twitter um, and all the, the, prime, the, the social media platforms. It's join Crowd Health. Would love to uh, engage with you. Anytime I do a podcast like this, I've got some awesome people who reach out and engage. I actually just hired one of them who, who reached out to me after a podcast. So um, really enjoy the interaction. So um, definitely, you know, let's, let's hook up on Twitter or elsewhere. Awesome, man. Well, keep doing what you do and uh, wish you the best of luck with it because it definitely seems like a meaningful mission. Thanks, brother. Appreciate it. Thanks, man.